Kia ora and welcome to another episode of How to Save the World. Kia ora, Tim. Hello, Waveney. How are you? Pretty good. We're back in the studio. Yeah, I know. It was our, a mish. Our awesome road trip to Raglan. Uh, that was so much fun and so awesome and informative and just inspiring, like really inspiring. Yeah, we've had a few comments from people saying, wow, actually, we didn't know this was happening and how cool because we can do it too. Yeah. Yeah. And now that we're back with our feet on the ground, do you recall just prior to the new year making a new year's resolution? Because I was wondering how it's going. I made two from memory. Yeah, and I can't even remember what they were, to be honest. (laughs) I just remember that you made them. One was that I was going to buy a secondhand bike, which I have not done yet. But I did uh, rent one for a birthday party, which was a lot of fun. (laughs) And... um. My wife actually got one, so I've sort of been, uh, and she got it fixed up at a secondhand bike shop, which is local to our neighbourhood and really cool because it seems to just exclusively employ these um, school age kids who like learn how to how to do bikes up and Sweet. about. Like, and you're not talking an EV by electrical. No, bike, no, no, just, just a, a push a bike. bike. Yeah, yeah cool, a lovely cool. push bike. And actually, my sister gifted it um, to my wife, Aye, which is really that's nice. That's nice. Yeah, and then what awesome. was your other one? Um, my other one was to buy no new clothes That's in this whole right. calendar year, yeah. um, except for socks and underwear. And technically, I broke it on the very first day of the year. What? And I'll tell you a little story about why. So I was at New Year's celebrations and um, with with my wife and, and our friends. You down your front. No, it wasn't that. It was just, um, we were in Gizzy and there was is a cool um, band called Mermaidens who were based in Auckland. Uh, we're at like the barbecue. There's a ton of our mates there, and uh, and and they didn't sell a lot of merch at um, at the festival, and so we just all bought a t-shirt, uh-huh. and it's this beautiful unbleached cotton, which is this really like nice kind of off-white color. Well, that is a and good justification. So, like, I bought it to support some artists. Yes, and you should have a... thought more about the resolution and had some caveats and pretty robust clauses I know, in I know. to cover you. But that is literally the only piece of clothing that I've bought, and it's still the only piece of clothing that I intend to buy. It's um, funny that was like New Year's Day, but that's very, really, very cool, actually. But I wanted yeah. to own up to that. Not perfect. Broke it on the first day, but I think for a good cause. How, how about you, Wave? Um, so my resolution was to not go op shopping, which was all about trying to work out how to do things a little bit differently and maybe learn how to tailor stuff and, and actually invest in some quality pieces. And, uh, well, I mean, it's going well. <laughs> I haven't done anything. Just by default. <laughs> yeah, by default. But there have been a few opportunities to go up shopping, and I haven't. And I've just saved time. And that was kind of what it was about, was just realizing I was spending a lot of time, you know, chasing this dream of trying to find the perfect piece that was missing from my wardrobe. And it's like, yeah, great. So the, the reality's hit. That's not going to happen and instead, I've been looking for a local tailor. I actually explored the idea of sewing myself, and my husband just shut it down. Yeah, I don't think you're, you're not very uh, time-rich at the moment, Wife. Exactly. And I, I, have a, I don't even have a love-hate relationship with sewing. It's just a hate relationship. Um, <laughs> I don't like it. So um, I'm in the process of finding a tailor. I've actually right. found someone. I just haven't approached them yet. So. I, well, I would love to hear how that goes because um, it seems to be this like great kept secret by people who are into fashion is just like finding a good tailor. Yeah, yeah. So I actually am pleased with how it's going. Awesome. So and small. Yeah. And so on that note, Wave, what are we talking about in this episode? Um. This is all about um, trying to find a fish to eat that is sustainable, and it's something that is something that's been driving me nuts for years because I think it's like in my head, I've got it into my head that eating fish isn't really a sustainable thing to do, um, and I think we're supposed to have like one or two servings of fish a week. I would certainly like to, but for, I don't. From a health point, yeah, of view. from a health point of view, yeah. I don't have anywhere near that, and um, that's basically for sustainability reasons. And uh, I'm quite keen to see if I can use this opportunity here, how to save the world, to have a, to really explore if, in fact, there is a way to eat to find and eat fish sustainably in New Zealand. 
kick the tires on some of those assumptions. That's what yeah, it's all about. Yeah, that's right. It's a big part of our identity, I think, in Aotearoa, this abundant kaimoana. It's certainly a, a tōanga for Māori and um, for Pākehā. It's, it's totally interwoven into being Kiwi, I think, Absolutely. isn't it? I Just, think the fish and chip shop is like one of the most Kiwi things I can think of. Yeah, and then um, and then a lot of people are involved in actually just whether it's going down and getting some pippy or um, throwing a line out. Um, it's a big part of who we are. And uh, I just have been, I guess, interested for a long time to, to try and work out. Because I thought, that's right, I don't fish. Right, so I think if you fish, it's easy enough actually to be to eat sustainably caught fish, but um, I've I the, on the other hand, I've heard that our um, fisheries are actually some of the best managed in the world. I don't know if you've ever heard I had, things I along those no, lines. Yeah, it's, it's actually won awards, and so I don't know because then you've got people like Forrest and Bird. Uh, and they've got a. Have you heard of the best fish guide? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Have you ever used? Yeah, that? I think I've thumbed yeah. through it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So that is a guide that Forest and Bird have put together, which is a conservation agency in New Zealand, and uh, they basically have got a traffic light system for all of the fish and shellfish. Uh, and so you can you're basically looking for something that's green, so that's okay to eat. Um. And then the the orange is like basically concession because there's not a lot in the green category and then the red they're just saying don't eat it it's not really good at all and so um so yeah on the one hand you've got apparently this award-winning fishery industry so if you look at the seafood new zealand website you would which represents the commercial fishing sector you would be like oh everything's awesome but then yeah you look at the forest and bird uh best fish guide and unfortunately most of our fish are in the red category most of most like by far the majority and it's it's all of the um common it's all of the things they're all of our go-tos the snapper and um hokey hokey I guess it should be, shouldn't it? I'm just thinking that for the first time that I must have always yeah, said true. that wrong. Yeah. It's the, and but, that's um, in the red as well. Yeah. Whoa. So um, there's – anyway, it, I, I, I want to know, I guess, if it – or when it's okay to eat fish in Aotearoa. And it, it's through exploring this um, over the last couple of weeks, I found out that it's actually quite a contested space um, – like I mentioned, you've got the commercial fishing industry um, boasting that it's a really sustainable um, fisheries. And you've got, uh, well, basically we have a quota management system in New Zealand, which came in in the late 80s. And that was um, in response to dropping fish stocks at the time. And they put in this, this quota to say that um there will be a total allowable catch um, and we'll divvy up this quota between the people that are already fishing. So you'll have a right to get a percentage of um, the fish. And that's that. Nobody so can like catch anything more than that. Similar to a cap and trade, but for fish. It's like this is the total number of stuff we're going to take out of the ocean in terms of fish. And we'll just figure out how to divvy up that yeah. allowance. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then so... The feeling from the industry is that this quota management system actually ensures the sustainability of, of the fish. Um, but it's quite interesting because um, just in the lead up to this episode, um, a lot of people would have noticed in the news that several hapu, which is, um, if you're not from around here, is a, a name for a small tribal group of Māori, um, that are based in and around the land, caring for it, um, recently announced Rahui, which is a temporary ritual prohibition, um, on several shellfish, including crayfish. Um, and part of the Nazi power Rahui was um, placing crayfish under a two-year uh, ban. And that's uh, those guys, they're around Waiheke Island. Mm -hmm. And Waiheke Island is right in the middle of Auckland's Hauraki Golf, which is right where America's Cup's happening right now. So um, they say that the um, the harbour's being really degraded um, and that the crayfish particularly are 
in just this dire situation. And I just thought this was quite an interesting case study because um, we've actually, in 2018, the government actually did act uh, to preserve that fish stock. Um, and they, so this is three years before the Rahui, the Ministry for Primary Industries um, reduced the total allowable catch of crayfish in that area uh, from 200 tonnes to 80 tonnes. So there was an identified problem, That's even, right. even yep. at the government level, going, hey, yep. something's gone wrong here, yep. we need to yep. change. So, so we'll bring, so we'll, we'll the, this management system we've had will kick into gear and we're going to use the, the law mm-hmm. to reduce the total allowable catch and protect the, the crayfish. So I was interested to see, well, you know, why have the, the local hapu come out, and not just one either, come out with this um, uh, various rahui. And so I have a, uh, a friend actually who right now, um, prior to the rahui, could dive in the area and get as many crays as he wanted, which is interesting too. So he would sort of say, yeah, it's sort of getting a bit harder, but he knows where to find them and, you know, he's he's visually seeing them. Mm. So um, there is more than one scientist. I've, I've got a quote from marine scientist Nick Shears, who's done a lot of research in this area, uh, who's estimating that the current levels of crayfish in the Hauraki Gulf are at just 1% of 1990 levels. Whoa. And there's no way 1990 levels would have been, you know, I, like the full ideal, happy, healthy yeah. fish stock. Yeah. So it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And it's not the only example. And it's just really interesting that actually, I think the Hapu have it absolutely right. Um, the government's um, response. response was totally inadequate. Um, the scientist says that actually, in reality, it should have been closed, not reduced to take it. You've got yeah. 1% left. And they're saying, oh, well, now we're only going to take out 80 tonnes. That's annually. And does the rahui mean that that does bring it to zero, effectively? Yes. It's just you're banned to to take it. And Um, are people respecting that, the hapus? Well, my friend is. And that's a really good question. And I've been to um, Go Island, which is, you know, close to where I live, um, when there's been a rahui, actually for totally different reasons, uh, because a couple of people died. Mm. Um, And so the, the local Hapu decided just to put a rahui on the beach for a few days. And this was high summer, not this summer, but last. And it was empty, totally respected. There wasn't one person on that beach. And is it, I think it's the case in the Waitakere's at the moment. There's True. still rahui yeah. there because yeah. of the kauri dieback. Yeah. Is that a bacteria? The, the nasty thing that goes <laughs> yeah. on the trays? It's and a kills whole them. other yeah. episode. So it's, but yeah, yeah. It's like so a great I, I think that actually. I mean, I don't know again if I'm just in some bubble or whatever, but it mm. does seem that uh, we do respect rahui mm, here. Mm. Um, and thank goodness, because it's almost a little bit like the hapu have that ability to be agile. Yes. Whereas our central government seems to be, you know, if you're going to be um, gracious, uh, just bogged down <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and not able to move so um, quickly. But... Um, I guess that brings me to the question is, can you trust the government and the commercial fishing sector? Because if you can't, does that mean that we should be? Like, if I mean, if that's one example of something right. that is about to be extinct. It's already functionally extinct, which means it doesn't play its role. Crayfish don't play its role anymore in the Hauraki Gulf, mm. um, which has all sorts of other unintended consequence when you take a thing out of the ecosystem. Mm. Um and I don't know, it doesn't mean we should be avoiding fish more than beef. Like, you know, cows aren't about to go extinct. Right, yeah. And the implications in terms of a connected ecosystem are yeah. probably far less. Yeah, yeah. From that point of view. To get, I mean, it's not straightforward, as you probably can anticipate, but um, I did, to try and get to the bottom of it, I spoke to um, three representatives from different sectors um, including Baring Talkington, uh, who's policy advisor for Legacy, which is New Zealand Sport Fishing Council, uh, and also Forest and Birds Chief uh, Strategic Fishery Advisor, Jeff Key. And then for a hapu's perspective, Te Atarangi Sayers from Motiti Rohi Moana Trust. Um, and, I all, and on top of that, I've actually read reports and manifestos and press releases from 
like all the players, we've got Seafood New Zealand, Ministry for the Primary Industries, Ministry for the Environment, a Sustainable Seas National Science Challenge, which is an interesting one, and then the International Marine Stewardship Council, which... That's what I love about your wave. You go deep on these things. Deep yeah, and wide. Uh, yeah, I have. It's an ocean out there, Tim. So <laughs> I jumped in. It's, um, yeah, so I guess the first thing, actually, it would be just to put it, our context in a global context, mm-hmm. um, and that would be not so great. We've really? Got, yeah. So even well, compared to other countries? Oh, no, I'm meaning what the global state of the oceans oh, are. Oh, sorry, gotcha, yeah. Yeah, it's um, but yes, actually, we can get to that. Comparatively, we we do have aspects of our fishery that aren't awesome compared to other countries. But anyway, it's probably about well over eighty percent. Of course, you can't really tell with the ocean, but mm. someone's come up with this figure: eighty-seven percent of our planet's fisheries are overexploited or fully exploited. Um, and from a, it's interesting to note because this comes through with the New Zealand stuff too. From a fishing perspective. Overexploited just means that you've taken more fish than the population can sustain, and so now there's less fish for you to take. Mm-hmm. But from an oceans management perspective, which is a completely different thing, overexploiting something means that what you're doing is having a negative impact on the ocean somehow. Right. So even if you can carry on taking that number of fish and you're still getting those fish, it could be that seabirds and marine mammals are in trouble or that the ocean environment's degraded or completely destroyed. Um, so the ocean, what did you call it, sorry? Our, uh, ocean management well, perspective? An ocean's management perspective. So that seems to me like it's more of a holistic. Holistic, yeah. And really the kind of sensible way I would assume to look at it because it, otherwise you're kind of doing that monocrop thing of going, well, this one thing's all right, so we're doing good. It's yeah, like, well, yeah. It's part yeah, of the it's, whole it's, system. It's, part, it's definitely a good step, I think, for us as Pākehā to move from an idea of just looking at one thing. Mm. But it's still, it is actually still quite a... I mean, using the word management for the ocean is such a human-centric sort of utilitarian resource way of looking at the ocean. Um, when I um, when I spoke with Te Atarangi, he was speaking in completely different terms about the life force and the relationship with the ocean and what we can, not what we can take, but just about that balance and being immersed in this incredibly important life force which is you know that is not ocean management system speak Mm. but but nevertheless I think it's it's a it's uh, sort of talking about the same thing though isn't it but it is viewing it from a different it's viewing it so the outcomes could be quite similar Yeah. yeah okay so if we look at New Zealand and what's going on for us it seems that we've got four main issues uh, one is that the actual stocks are dropping of fish and shellfish. Um, what we've got left today might be as much as half of what we had or it could be as little as a quarter. Um, and we've got the crayfish example, but there's also uh, tarahiki, uh, tohiroa, hapuka, gropa, uh, and a whole bunch of others that are just not doing well. Um, and the interesting thing is that we don't have an actual legal minimum baseline of what the percentage is okay to take. So like with the crayfish, it's gotten down to 1%. And we don't actually have, there's no law that says, well, hey, guys, you can't go below 30%, for example. Right. So in it, by contrast, in Australia, their stocks are around now 50% of, of sort of original biomass total. And... They want, by 2027, they've got a goal for that to be up to 60%. Wow. Australia's beating us on this? They sure are. Crazy. So. um, That's disappointing to hear. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Good for Australia, though. Yeah. So that's that's the first issue. Can I just quickly ask, is that something that came up with the discussions you had with with these people to, to research this, that we that would be a sensible thing for New Zealand to do to get one of these baselines yeah, in legislation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the next issue out of these four that, that identified were, is that the un, these unintended effects of overfishing, which I've mentioned before about how you might take out one species and it can affect the, the rest of the marine ecosystem. So, for example, the there's now a situation in the Hauraki Gulf where 
uh, because the crayfish are functionally extinct, the kinna, which are how do you describe kinna? Little balls with spikes on They're them. They're tasty, spiky <laughs> sea balls. <laughs> and they have now completely gone crazy. I assume the crayfish must eat them, do they? I, I guess, it doesn't matter because yeah. anyway, this is this thing where because the, the crayfish have gone, the kinna have now gone crazy and they've eaten the kelp forests. So we've actually lost or are losing all of our kelp forests in the as Gulf. As a result of as a result of all the, Yeah. Yeah, wow. totally unintended. Nobody saw that coming. And um, there are lots of things like that. What was I watching recently? I saw some document, like a short documentary about the importance of kelp in the ocean recently. And yeah. they play a huge role in several things, but oh, not so least of which go. is and oxygenating now, the water. Yes, exactly. So we, we, we play around with this stuff and... We could be closer than we understand to collapses or these, you know, chain effects of things. In the parlance of the internet, we effed around and we're about to find out. <laughs> so, first and bird policy advisor Jeff Key, who I spoke with, um, reckons that actually most of the time that total allowable catch that the government sets is actually not too bad in terms of allowing that fish stock to be caught in perpetuity at, at that volume. But he, he really identifies that the main issue is that it doesn't really mean that, that a wider marine ecosystem is okay with that level. And so he pointed out a really interesting thing, that there's not really enough fish now for the recreational fishers because the essentially because the commercial fishers have taken so much. And he was like, well, if that's true for recreational fishers, maybe that's true for seabirds and dolphins too. Yeah. So like, yeah, we're like going, oh, it's okay. There's still all these fish, but actually we just actually don't know what the impacts are. Maybe other things are running out of food. Um, Because like, if you kind of look at it from the animal's point of view, I would liken seabirds far more to recreational fishers in terms of the tools at their disposal, whereas commercial fishers can do like, Crazy uh, stuff, yeah. So the third aspect that we've got that's a bit of an issue is, well, no, I shouldn't say a bit, it's a huge issue, is really unacceptable levels of bycatch. And uh, bycatch is, is just anything that you've caught that you weren't intending to catch um, that typically you'd throw overboard. Um, Very innocent sounding term, isn't it? Bycatch. Just a bit of bycatch. Forest and Bird have this on their website. Uh, in New Zealand, it is illegal to kill protected species. And you're like, yeah, of course, kiwi, whatever. Uh, unless you're a commercial fisher. And you're like, oh my gosh, they're right. Because it's actually not illegal to bycatch even a Maui dolphin if, you, if it's an accident. And what we really need is to outlaw some stuff, but yeah, we haven't. because there's no so incentive to not. Maui dolphin get netted occasionally. There's only 15 breeding females left. And then over 80% of seabirds are endangered. And last year, around about 15,000 seabirds were caught through fishing methods, mostly on long lines. It's just like devastating. Uh, that we're still that we're still saying. And why would the commercial fishers change anything if there's not an incentive to do so? Because the, the only thing they're they're looking at is is profit, really. These are. Uh, and I don't want to paint them as villains. Well, no, I'm sure I was they're... about to say that. That's the point. Is that they won't be villains. They will just be people trying to earn money for their families and that that whole gig. Totally. And it's uh, so long as you've allowed an avenue for the, the easiest way to make money uh, to have these consequences, and then... I have heard the argument voiced from parties like commercial fishers that we've got a vested interest in making sure that these populations um, stick around because it's our livelihood, which of course is true, but it doesn't take into account no, things it like bycatch and all of these other yeah. species that, that are connected yeah, in the system. Yeah. So the fishers are actually legally required to report everything and they can get a $100,000 fine if they don't. But it's almost impossible to catch them. Mm. Um, Forest and Bird have analysed some of MPI's records, um, which is the ministry involved, um, and it shows that fishers are up to nine times more likely to report bycatch when there's an observer on board. So it's like, hello. <laughs> Clearly, uh, it's, not, it's not happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and then the fourth aspect, which is actually just as devastating, is that there's this irreparable destruction of the seabed ecosystem through uh, bottom trawling 
and through dredging as well, um, which is currently happening. It's legal both in our inshore and offshore fisheries. Do you know much about what dredging is? It's um, basically the same concept as dragging a net or trawling a net, but it's sort of more like a open mouthed cage and it's just it's just for a different species so right. it's for crabs and stuff like right. that um so it's the same exactly the same damage from what i understand um so we've got those issues and it really just boils down to that we're taking too much and that our fishing techniques aren't great and that we really need to pull our socks up a bit with legislation and enforcement mm. So really what it all boils down to is that we've got all of these problems because of essentially we're, we're just taking too much and because of our fishing techniques and then I guess legislation and enforcement as well. Um, so it's all very well saying, oh, I'm going to try and avoid bad fishing techniques, but I don't know what they are. Yeah. And then you can read things on like your can of tuna or whatever and go, oh, well, they say that they're not doing this. Maybe that's okay. So I just thought maybe we could have a quick look at mm-hmm. various fishing techniques. Um, interestingly, you know how I mentioned in Forest and Birds Best Fish Guide, most of those poor old fish are in the red or orange category. Mm-hmm. Actually, that is mostly because of fishing techniques used. So it's not inherent to their species or anything it's just the way that we're getting them it could be that's right um which is what's awesome about getting out with a rod yourself if you can um so unfortunately most fishing methods have negative environmental environmental impacts a good rule of thumb is smaller the better um so that's why it's great if you know someone on a boat or whatever as opposed to get going to the supermarket and going for the biggest commercial fish you can find um so we've got the bottom trawling and dredging, um, which we sort of covered off before. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's probably bad. <laughs> Is that like the top of the list in terms of negative impact to the oceans? I wonder. I mean, I didn't actually ask anyone that question, but I I would say so, Tim, because it's it's got two big issues. One is the uh, destruction. It's just this equivalent of a clear cutting of habitat and on a huge scale it destroys the corals and the sponges but the other aspect is that it scoops up absolutely everything so you've got fish animals marine mammals plants turtles all like everything all scooped up so it's just really unfair no, no nobody's got a chance to swim away um and also, then, if you look at how long it takes for the floor to recover, is it really they don't. Um, that it, it will take hundreds of years. Mm. And this, I can't believe it's legal, actually. Uh, it just seems that if you're going to do something once that will damage the floor and basically turn it into this desert of silt, that then, by the way, gets resuspended and does all this damage every time they re-drag something through it. It just seems like it shouldn't be yeah. legal. And it, interestingly, British retailers in 2016 refused to stock New Zealand hockey. For this reason? For this reason, because oh of God. the bottom, bottom trawling. Um, then you've also got um, mid-trawling and persaining, um, or Danish seining, which without getting too much into these things, is essentially just weighted nets with boys. So it's the same issue because of the scale is enormous and these nets are mobile and then they wrap them around and create big um, circles that mm. they can't get out of. So it's not on the bottom, but nevertheless it catches all of that same bycatch. Um, Legacy, which is the um, the group that represents the um, recreational fishers in New Zealand, they have put out a manis- manifesto uh, saying about what they what they think should be legal in New Zealand, and they basically are saying that they don't think there should be anything, any trawling whatsoever going on, especially in our inshore, um, and they recommend removing all of these methods, um, and just reminding us that this the inshore used to be this really highly productive nursery, uh, and it's just not that anymore. 
Um, and then the other thing would be to amend the Fisheries Act. I'm going to talk about the solutions and what we can do as consumers. Um, one of the one of the things we can do is obviously to support good legislation. Um, I've written a really good blog for this to basically support this episode because I had a whole bunch more stuff that I, that I found out about, especially through the interviews I did with people that I haven't been able to put in here. I'll put a link to the blog in the show notes. Yeah, basically our Fisheries Act that we have in New Zealand isn't an Oceans Act, which is back to what we were talking about earlier. So it's only about, the Act is only about supporting the long-term sustainability of the Act of Fishing. Um, and it sits under the Ministry of Primary Industries, which actually has a conflicted mandate. So one of its purposes is to promote the industry and to grow export sales. The other mandate it has is to manage the industry and write the rules. So you can see right from the start so because that there's an issue there. It sits with... This is interesting. Like it's all of this responsibility sits with MPI, yeah. but really, I mean, we would kind of want to see this in a joint way, managed with the Ministry for the Environment. It's actually very. In fact, this used to be. I don't know if it still is the case in Australia, where the equivalent of DOC, the Department of Conservation, actually sits in their Ministry for Primary Industries equivalent, whatever they call it. There, it sits within it. It sits within it, and so it basically sits along with the forestry guys. And it's just like, it's so screamingly obviously that you shouldn't put your uh, natural forest reserves in with people who manage plantation forests for profit. And yet that is actually exactly what we do with our fish. Uh, it's just that perspective that the only possible reason we could have for protecting the environment is to further the financial interests of Mm, um, – Grabbing all those resources out of it. Everybody I spoke to said that we need reform. Um, and actually, there is the good news is that there is some reform happening. And one of the things is that until relatively recently, the Ministry for Primary Industries also was the enforcer. So they would make the rules, try and promote the industry, and then try and enforce the rules, which... Now that it's separated out, there's more investigations and more prosecutions. So that's really positive. And also we have a freshly minted um, Minister for Oceans and Fisheries, which we've never had. Well, not recently. Oh, so that title is, is a brand new yep, role. it's new. Yep. And right. that's not only have we got it, but it, the person who has it, the Minister, is Honourable David Parker, who's one of our most senior mm. politicians in Parliament. So that bodes well. Um, the government's also got a working group looking at the issues within the sector, which has had some wins. It's now mandatory to have GPS on board of all commercial fishing boats and an electronic logbook. And that has had immediate positive results. Really? So that's cool. They're also, this group is also hoping for cameras, which is yes. something that is like screamingly obvious that needs to happen. And this was, I, I can't remember the particulars, but that was a big news story last yes, year leading I into the election. Yes, I remember that too. With yes. Winston Peters yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember much about it, but I remember that issue. Um, and now that I've kind of really rolled my sleeves up and looked into this, it seems like that is, it would just be huge for what it could do for us. Motiti Rohi Moana Trust representative Ti Ata Rangi, who I mentioned I spoke with earlier, um, has also had some success with feeding into regional coastal environment plans to create better outcomes for the hapu. Um, and it's those plans, which I didn't actually know about, they were connected to the RMA legislation, legislation um, and they set the regional context. So that, it's those plans that outline the issues and actually set the rules. Uh, just a heads up, RMA, RMA, Resource Management Act. Yay. So there is some cool stuff happening. And in a nutshell, like I say, I'll, I'll sort of go into a bit more of this in the blog, but... In a nutshell, what it looks like we need is um, a focus on inshore fisheries, which is the biggest issue. Uh, we should be banning netting in the Maui Dolphin Territories. We mm. should be, well, or banning Obviously, it everywhere, but yeah. like at least that. Yeah. Um, banning dredging and bottom trawling, modifying surface longline rules to reduce seabird catch. Oh, I didn't mention that earlier. Um, 
it's the seabirds are mostly getting caught on long lines, um, but there's actually some very. But we have the technology. You just need a few modifications, and the birds won't be able to catch and get caught up. Um, mandatory cameras and introduce a minimum unfished biomass of, I think, 50%. I'm yeah. not the expert, clearly, but um, a lot of the scientists internationally agree that that's a great baseline. And so, the, sorry, 50% of, of say, like sorry, those yeah, 1990s original, yeah, uh, levels well, where we first measured it? Well, whatever we take, I guess, of an original species stock. Yeah. Whether it's a 1990 level or whether you go back to Exactly, just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, ditch the quota. Uh, the quota was given away for free in perpetuity. So we need to replace that with time-limited licenses and our fishers need to be paying for the right to be taking the fish. Time-limited licenses. Interesting. So to give something away in perpetuity to me is asking for trouble. When it's to do with natural resources. Yeah, yeah in this particular century. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then giving them away for free and then making them tradable has had this weird sort of quota lord thing. It's like a feudal system where some people got this entitlement that right. they could sit back then and get rich and sell it off to others even though it didn't cost them anything. And It's just weird. Whereas, um, you know, there's other countries like Faroe Islands actually have just pulled all the stops out and got some really good legislation and putting their people and their fish first. Right. Um, and that's what they've done. So, yeah, and it's just things that we can do that we know will make enormous immediate difference. So that's your first thing, isn't it, to go out and sign the petition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are there are two that I came across. Um, one is uh, Forest and Birds Zero Bycatch. It's actually a pledge. Sign the pledge. Um, you can jump online, find their campaign page i'll put it in the notes and also rescue fish petition which is from legacy um and these guys have got their heart and soul in restoring our inshore waters and can i just say on the online petitions thing like it costs you nothing (laughs) to do and it's like a few moments of your time but we've just had a, a local news story in new zealand where um there's been a petition which has just caught fire and I think we'll get some real immediate political change um, that the Greens kicked off around banning gay conversion therapy um, and changing the law to protect against that. And it got like 100,000 signatures inside three or four days wow. and made heaps yeah. of news. So because yeah. I, I, I could even, I can find myself at times getting cynical about those um, those petitions um, and if they actually do anything, and they absolutely they do. They absolutely do. I think for me it's just more that there isn't, there's just an endless number of petitions. Yeah, but so I you just, kind of a, like, yeah. you, you lessen the worth of it, I think, in your head because it doesn't cost you really anything yes, to sign true. it. And, yeah. and there's a, a lot of them floating around, but you know, don't be dissuaded from the fact that you're adding your voice to it um, to create these big numbers has a huge impact on what the government decides huge, to do. Huge, huge actually. Like we've seen it already with the plastic bag ban, which all the people in the know sort of said, well, this really isn't the big issue that it should be, but it's what the people want. So all right, let's ban it, you know. Yeah. And so that got pushed through before other things that perhaps could be more effective but it's just so fantastic that something happened because in reality nothing else much has happened so mm. that push that the public can have and this absolutely could be an issue that we all get behind um and once we understand for a place like yeah. new zealand to champion these sorts of issues as yeah. well on the global stage yeah. oh, that so struck me that that Britain had banned our hokey fish because of our fishing practices. We feel so self-righteous. I know, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because of this assumption, because of the self-image yeah, we have as yeah, a country, and yeah. it's just not backed and, up. And, you know, hockey's one of the most common fish in the frozen food section, yeah. I think. Um, anyway, back to that original premise, which was, what is the best way to get a sustainably caught fish on my table? Mm. And it sounds like... The best thing to do is to catch the bloomin' thing yourself. Um, so that's fine, but I am not a person that's going to be out there doing that. Um, if we are a bit stuck with not fishing, then what's next? And really nobody I spoke to could crack this. That's the sad 
downside of this is that there isn't, I kept asking actually continually, you know, what's the best way I can put a sustainable fish on the table? And people would just really start talking about ways to avoid putting unsustainably fished fish on the table. Right. So turning it around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, um, however, I mean, I do have something for us. Yes, go on. <laughs> so um, this is cool. The um, best that I can do is, uh, is a suggestion from Barry Talkington who said, go to your nearest port, like physically, mm-hmm. walk in the door. There is actually a provision in the Act for wharf sales, um, which is interesting because it, the narrative is really that it's all wrapped up. Um, and that you can't just directly it's buy this impenetrable system between yeah, the yeah, supermarkets and, it certainly, and the and it certainly feels like that because you don't even really see fishmongers around. Like yeah, you look yeah. how we've got butchers yeah. or, or um, farmers markets, mm. you don't really see fresh fish in the mix. And there's, there's, it turns out that there's some quite um, compelling reasons and difficulties are all tied up with legislation why that doesn't happen. But actually, there is this provision, and it's not often used where up to ten percent of a catch can be um, sold at the wharf. What the, what the issue is is that there isn't really any incentive for the fishers to do that, and there's a lot of paperwork and stuff for them. However, so many of the people who are out there fishing really do care, mm. and and so there is this, it's just if you're up for it, there is an opportunity to have that, to give it a go. Yeah. You know, if you're living somewhere locally and you've got a port, then why not just have a go and build, try and build that relationships? Um. So, okay, coming back from those two things, if you're not if you're not up for jumping out in a boat or walking down boldly to your local port, yeah, um, then what I'm going to do is go through the different situations that you might be buying fish in, like your fish and chip shop or mm-hmm. the deli at the supermarket. So, um, fish and chip shop, mm-hmm. avoid unlabeled fish, which is Crikey, mostly what you get in a fish and chip shop just says fish, doesn't it? So usually that would be elephant fish, blue water hoe, red cod, or quite a few different shark species. All of those are coded red on the guide. Do not eat. Um, And they're usually caught through set netting. Um, Unfortunately, a rule of thumb is that if it's cheap, it's likely to have been caught using the easiest, quickest methods, which are the ones that cause the issue. So... Unfortunately, uh, the take-home message there is avoid the cheapest, the 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 classic fish yeah. and chip chop fish. Um, if there's options on the menu, then um, you know maybe you can make a better choice. Uh, the next one is the fish and chip shop. Sorry, the fish counter at the supermarket, or maybe if you're lucky, you'll have a fish monger. Um, and this will relate back to choosing your fish at the fish and chip shop. Um, so. A good rule of thumb is to ditch the popular ones that you know, partly because these are the ones that are getting hammered, uh, but also because the more unpopular ones, um, like kahawai, trevally, wadaho, rig, lemonfish, and sea perch, for example, all ones that I don't really know too much about, but they're there, they're sitting there, um, they are often bycatch. So... If you can actually buy these fish that are otherwise getting thrown away, um, what you're actually doing is encouraging the small fishers that may have actually opted to dump that bycatch over the side of their boat due to low returns. Huh. Uh, you're actually encouraging them by changing your consumption habits to take the pressure off those more well-known species, but also encourage better practices, and it really actually support those small local guys who need it. So, Interesting. Right. Yeah, I thought that was a quite a good good one. Yeah. Um, with that best fish guide being so overwhelmingly negative, mm. I have used it or tried to use it in the past, and I just felt, to be honest, like an idiot standing at the fish counter with a lady standing there going, can I help you? And me going, um, and trying to navigate this app. And just every single thing seemed to be read. Um, so I think it's also important to have a take-home message. And that would be that one of our most popular fish, uh, tarahiki, should not be bought. Uh, if that's all you can remember, 
uh, it's critically low and it's probably worth a boy a good old fashioned boycott um just to allow those stocks to recover um then on the more positive note salmon's actually a pretty good choice that oh, uh, all of the stuff on the best fish guide, you've you've got to be asking the questions of where it came from. Yeah, um, because it's it's qualified. So the salmon that does particularly well is freshwater Canterbury salmon, um, <laughs> and then the marine Canterbury salmon is okay, but not as good, and that kind of thing. And power is another good one. Um, green lip mussels are great, uh, and then. Okay choices are Kahawai and surprisingly skipjack tuna because um, I just hear tuna and think bad. Yeah. But, um, so there, there's, you know, we can sort of navigate our way around that. Um, another cool one that I'd never thought of was someone suggested buy the whole fish. Okay. Instead of the fillet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it reduces the waste. You you buy the whole fish and then learn how to eat a whole fish rather than just a fillet. It's exactly the same story with our other animals is that we've become so wasteful only eating just the sort of the prime muscle meat. That if we leave it to the supermarkets and that, they'll just throw away everything that isn't that fillet. Yeah, well, if there's no market for they're putting out a whole fish and we're only ever buying fillets. Yeah. I, to be honest, I've never bought a whole fish and I'm going to do it. As soon as I oh, finish here, you. I'm going to run out and give it a go. I mean, presumably that means you need to learn how to fillet a fish. Well, I know. I remember when I was traveling and really enjoying the food in Thailand, it would be the whole fish that would come out. Sometimes it was a, the whole thing was deep yes, fried. Yes, and, yes, yes. You know, so yummy. And there's a cookbook, Whole Fish Cookbook, um, New Ways to Cook, Eat, and Think. Uh, it's only from 2009, and Josh Nillard's come out with it. And that has been a bestseller. It's a really cool book, and it's right. just encouraging people to. I fully Think differently about this. Know what you're talking about with it because I had that a lot in Thailand as well. And when I go to Thai restaurants, I love to get those whole fish that are seasoned with like lots of chili, yeah, fresh chili and yeah, stuff. It's and exactly. So it's um a skill I think yeah. that we've actually lost. Um, and of course at the counter you've got that opportunity to take your own container and maybe one other the one plastic. is uh just like be mindful of your consumption of fish. Yes, i.e. maybe it could go down a little bit because. Yeah. I'm certainly guilty of this going, well, there's been such kind of good marketing about how bad beef is from a carbon footprint profile yes, point yeah, of view. Yeah. And we get told that fish has this low carbon impact comparatively to other things. But good, of course, yes. that's not the only No, it metric. isn't the only metric. And it's a really good reminder um, that we should be running several metrics. And yeah. it all comes, that's why I like this by local as a good over, overall totally. Uh, premise for everything because if you know where something has come from if you've seen it if you can speak to the people that produced it you are really a long way to ticking quite a few boxes um the okay so what have we done the fish and chip shop we've done the counter the deli mm. uh the fishmonger and then you've got the frozen section at mm -hmm. the supermarket which is usually packaged and processed and that's where you might find sea lords yes <laughs> <laughs> and I don't inhabit this part of the supermarket much with my um, zero waste uh, heritage. Um, doesn't occur to me actually, but I know, I know that if you're here, you're likely to be buying hockey. I think mm -hmm. it seemed when we, last time I had a wee look around, it seemed to be what it was. And this is also my where you come into contact with this blue tick, which has come up. Uh, it's from the Marine Stewardship Council, and the idea is that it's a um, it took towards saying it's sustainably fished and sourced. I have hesitations about it. Um, I've seen World Wildlife Foundation say, oh, it's just good because it's got the tick. Um, so I don't know, maybe I'm going to be burned at the stake. Um, because um, I've also seen World Wildlife Foundation say that they have significant concerns about the certifications of particular um, fisheries that have been certified. So uh, just sort of, to me, it's like if you can't trust it, then you can't what trust it. What worth is that yeah, certification? Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's, uh, it, and it's it's come from the industry itself. It, it was originally from Unilever, who shoulder-tapped um, World Wildlife Foundation and said, hey, do you want to come on board with us and create the certification? So World Wildlife basically advises 
and then they come out and after they've gone through that process and basically disagree with um, some of the certifications. Hockey's a classic. Uh, it uses bottom trawling fishing method, methods, um, which are causing irreversible harm. And there is no way that there should be a blue tick on that. Mm. So, and yet that is happening. They, that some of those are getting blue tick. Yeah, I right. believe so. Um, it's Yeah, actually, yes, it is, um, because... World Wildlife Foundation's come out against it. Um, even our Orange Ruffy, which is, you know, for Kiwis who know that's been in the news for decades as being really threatened and stuff, that came out with a certification as well. Right. And World Wildlife Foundation were like, no, no, no. That's, we've got con- significance concerns about that as well. So the, um, the aisles now, if you move into the cans, um, We've got the salmon in a can, which just seemed like such a muddled um, lineage. It was very hard to tell. Yeah. And we've actually got good choices for fresh salmon. So that would be, I'd say, a nice easy win is to stick with the fresh. Um, The sardines, actually not too bad. Interesting. Yeah. So I'll take that. I like to have the old can of fish on hand. Tuna, couldn't really, I'm suspicious, and unfortunately I couldn't really get to the bottom of it. If you check out the blog, I will make sure I add that information and when I get it. Um, I'm certainly suspicious of the dolphin-friendly tag on my can of tuna. Um, and also it doesn't say what type of tuna it is. It just says tuna. And when you look at um, all of the information about, like tuna is a fishery that is in trouble. There are some that are really endangered and there are definitely some that you should be avoiding. So a little bit like the fish, generic fish from the fish and chip shop. Mm. I just, if it's cheap and if it's not labeled, then I, it doesn't seem like a good idea to me. Then the last spot I thought of that you might come across fish is at a restaurant. Mm. And this is a good opportunity to actually ask some questions. You can ask these same questions at a supermarket counter as well. Um, These come from Legacy, um, the group we were talking about earlier. The questions are, where was the fish caught? When was the fish caught? And how was the fish caught? And they're all actually really good selling points for the fish. And so if it's caught recently and locally in a good way... The person will know that. Right. They will know because it's a good selling point. So if the answer is, I've got no idea, then that could exactly, suggest that. Then that's probably not a great sign. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, to be clear, in a good way would be no nets, no trawling. Um, smaller the better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So... And there are some restaurants out there that take this stuff super seriously and take a lot of pride in it as well. I know some people in Hospo who are, you know very passionately into how they source their food getting in there. And uh, you will be able to track down if you ask a, a couple of people yes, in a couple you're of places in the right, exactly in who, the right. who takes this yeah, seriously. Yeah, And I think, like, I've, I hate the awkwardness of doing this sort of stuff. And I, I if I can do anything You don't to want to be a it, Karen, do you? <laughs> exactly. I'm so not a Karen. And I hate it. Um, but I do feel like it's the spearheading thing where, like, a good example would be it's now – like on New World's website, bring your own container. And they've got all these tips about bringing your own container. And I was doing that 10, 15 years ago where it was awkward as all hell. And people would, the way they would look at you or talk to you even. And I feel like it's something that we just have to roll our sleeves up and do. Just ask the questions and it will get easier. And it, it spearheads change. Yeah. yeah. And you know that you're coming from a good place when you do it as well. Totally. You're not Some people doing are really, I'm not good at it. Some people yeah. are so gracious and smiley and <laughs> win everybody over. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, that's about it. There are other little things you can do that are actually outside of buying a fish. Like, um, you could actually swap, which is obvious, yeah, right? If well, you like know people, exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. And you can actually get strategic about that, and maybe think <laughs> about <laughs> about who you're going to include in your friend <laughs> yeah. circle. We've only got one slot, and it has to be someone who fishes. <laughs> yeah, no, let's get the clipboard out. What I was thinking was, uh, you could look at what you've got 
and what you could swap, and then maybe even strategically grow a thing. Like and what plant skill, more. And what skills you have? Yes, true. Yeah. One of the most sustainable things you can offer to a you know an economy, yeah, a, however big or small swap. that is, yeah. is a skill swap. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I, I guess maybe a closing remark um, from Tiatarangi Sayers, who was very quotable actually, and, and said a whole bunch of stuff that really struck me. I guess partly because he was coming from a perspective that wasn't my own um, culturally, which is always more poignant, I think. Um, and, you know, we've been, so even though we've been talking about integrated thinking, we're still very much focused on fishing as an act and what we can do surrounding that act to make it more sustainable. And he took a step right back and reminded me, which is something we've talked about before on the show, that fish, like anything else in our environment, are full of microplastics. Mm. And they are bioaccumulating. And we have to address our waste issues. And we have to address the way we consume. We have to change our relationship with our stuff. And we have to change the way we think about our industrial off products um you know most of us have a consumer hat but we a lot of us are making things and producing things and what happens to all of that stuff what's the long trajectory of it where did it come from where's it going everything's connected um another thing that doesn't have any relationship at first is also planting trees and just taking that opportunity to um restore a habitat and allow water to, to be filtered which will increase the the health of the waterways, which reduces sediment. And then that water, when it's flowing into the harbours via our land, if it doesn't have the sediment, will quite likely recreate these spawning habitats that we've lost. And we'll be able to get a lot of our fish back and our fish habitats back. Something um, that we found in Raglan. Yeah, like firsthand, exactly. Literally yes. someone taking on that project yeah. and recovering what was one of the worst fishing spots yes. in New Zealand yes. and turning it into like a kind of paradise for yeah. fish in that harbour now. Yeah, that's right. And so that's something like it's not just about having that lens on about, okay, I'm off to buy a fish now. How can I do this the best I possibly can? But And that's what I love about this show is that on the one hand, we're sort of bringing up a new issue every week. But on the other hand, we're actually just always going back to the same wisdom again and again mm. and again. And it's about how do we live sustainably? What does that mean? And it's actually a couple of really basic principles that the more we get into this show and the more we understand it, the simpler it gets. Yeah, and they just get repeated time and time again. Local, mindful, you know, watch your consumption habits mm. and, and just ask questions where around it, where yeah, the where stuff is coming from, from and what, yeah. what waste yeah. was created. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing the research for this EpWave. I um, stayed right out of this one and I've just learned a huge amount. So, um, What's your take home, Tim? To be honest... For me, because I kind of, so I was a big meat eater previously, huge meat eater, consumed a whole lot of meat. And then as I learned more about that, I came right off. I went fully vegan for a, for a while. I was, um, I've been pescatarian for like a year or two. Um, but this is just that adds to the sum total of knowledge that I think will inform my consumption habits. And it's sort of, I, I liken it to the monocrop thing that we talk about all the time where it's like the solution is not me just eating fish instead of beef yes <laughs> you know yeah yeah so i think while i will continue um to eat the odd bit of fish i will definitely eat less and i now will be more careful about thinking about where it comes from and mm. yeah i mean it's just that simplicity of trying to find local product mm. which harkens back to to all aspects so yeah for me, personally, it'll probably be slightly less, but not zero fish, mm. and being mindful of especially where it has been mm. uh, been caught and by whom. And for me, it's about using the best fish guide, which I've had on my phone, but I haven't interacted with a lot recently. And I think I'm going to actually just learn a couple of things I want to avoid. And is that app freely available for people? Yeah, it's um thank you for mentioning that. It's uh available and freely available and it's available for iPhones, Android or you can just download the PDF. Oh, great. Yeah. Awesome. 
All right. Well, uh, join us for next fortnight's episode um, because I'm going to take the wheel and I'm actually sitting down with the Minister for the Environment, James Shaw. I am really looking forward to hearing what you guys, what did you catch? Because you didn't, it wasn't a general chit chat, was it? What did you talk about? It was specifically about the emissions trading scheme and how it works. Great. That's um, something I've always... Spoiler alert, I've already had the chat with them. (laughs) And it was really good. So I'm looking forward to getting that out into the world. Brilliant. Flew down to Wellington specifically for it. And thank you very much to the Minister for for extending that time to me. That was really nice. So thank you, Wave. Thank you, Tim. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Um, Really helpful for us if you can leave a review on iTunes or share it around on your social media. Um, And thank you so much for listening. There's a great blog that Waveney's put together on this episode at howtosavetheworld.nz. Ka kite.